you dirty bastard. Slow to get mad. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And as we always do, we will bring you some recommendations this week. Ian, would you like to go first? Yeah, I'll I'll go first. Uh, Secret Life of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, Billy Wilder film. Uh, I, well, I'm blanking on the year, so we're off to a a bad start already. And it's a Billy Wilder film from the 70s. I guess it was a a passion project of his for, for years. And the original cut apparently ran... Very long. The original cut was somewhere in the neck of the woods of three and a half hours. Hello. And they, and they actually thought about breaking it up and releasing it in in two parts. Uh, and ultimately, the studio decided against that. And yeah. There's only random bits and pieces of that old footage still remaining. It's kind of episodic, so it, it takes a, a look into the life of uh, the, as as the title implies the the private life of Sherlock Holmes all the stories and all the things about him that you know Holmes and Watson didn't want you to know about him it, it hints at him his sexuality a little bit which is great because it's not in your face it's it's very subtle uh, there's some great stuff with uh, a Russian ballet troupe and uh, you find out that he's been invited there because the star of the ballet wants to to retire, and she wants to raise a child, and she wants a child with her looks and his brains. Okay. And it's fantastic. Um, the, one of the real reasons I watched it is, uh, I've talked about this before on this podcast, I am a huge fan of Christopher Lee. Yes. And Christopher Lee plays, he's one of the few actors that has played both Sherlock and Mycroft. Uh, so Sherlock's smarter, older brother, oh, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Unfortunately, he doesn't come into the movie until quite late. He does have a really important part to play as far as, you know, uh, this stuff up in Scotland with this terrible Loch Ness monster creature that you find out is kind of a ruse and something there to, to keep people away. But it's a couple of great performances in this thing, especially from the two leads, the guys playing Holmes and Watson. He, and, and Billy Wilder deliberately cast unknowns in those roles so that you wouldn't have any sort of preconceived notions about, oh, I've seen this guy in other stuff, so this is what his Sherlock should be. You know, gotcha. just kinda, They were given a fresh slate to kind of play with those characters. But it is... I, I was enraptured. It's one of the few... I didn't, I didn't get up. I didn't pause it. I just plowed through the whole thing. I just couldn't stop. Nice. I, I give this thing a certainly very high recommendation. I believe it's on... As of this recording, anyway, it's still on Prime, so if you have a Prime membership... Oh, great. It's on cool. there. What do you have for us this week? So, we're recording this a- after um, we saw this, but um, we've sort of, in the St. John household, we've decided that around Thanksgiving, we're going to take the kids to go see a movie. So, last year, Sophia was way too young, and we didn't take her to see the movie that I'm going to talk about, but last year, we took Stella to see her first movie in the theaters, which was Coco, and we, we loved it. Um, and so this year, uh, the day before Thanksgiving, we took Stella to go see Ralph Breaks the Internet. And how was it? 
It was good. Um, are, are you familiar with the first one? Really? Yeah, I saw the first one. I there, there was a lot to like about it, but I will admit I was, you know, you get two-thirds of the way through that film, and it does start to lag, and I felt a little bit sort of underwhelmed. Sure, and, and I... I, I agree with you, and I, you know, the story becomes really simplistic. You yeah. know, Ralph trying to to prove himself as yeah. not a as not the villain, but it, it's still a cool concept. No, it is, and and part of why I think Ralph breaks the internet is is much better than Wreck It Ralph is because I think Vanellope, the the Sarah Silverman voice character in the in in the first oh, one, she's great. She's great, but she comes in pretty like, kind of funny, pretty late into the the movie. Oh, in the um, second one, yeah, no, no, in the first one. Oh, that's right, yeah, yeah. But in the second one, it's all about how her and Ralph are like best friends and they're spending all this time together and it, it, it goes more to showing the world, you know, when they're not in the games, like when the arcade is closed. And essentially the the basic plot is the game, the arcade game that Vanellope is from, uh, somebody breaks the steering wheel and it's going to cost more to replace the steering wheel than the game makes in a year. So it's basically looking like Vanellope's game is going to be shut off, and then she's going to she's going to be gone. Well, this arcade just happens to have gotten installed with Wi-Fi, and so this moves into like what is what does the internet look like? You, the kind of the way Inside Out showed us internally what what could be going on, like an idea of what our brains do, and this is sort of a look at what what the internet looks like, and it's pretty fun. Like there's. There's digital buildings that look like Amazon and Google, and I mean every every big company is yeah. represented on there. I'd be curious to see this movie. I, being a huge Futurama fan, they did an episode like that where they went inside the internet, and so you had full visual representations of what the internet actually looks like. So yeah. be, I'm wondering to see how much of that is carried over, or if that was even well, something that they used as reference. And what I I think what I liked a lot about it too was. It's called Ralph Breaks the Internet, but this is this might be more Vanellope's story because it it focuses on her. She she's a racer in the game that she's in the arcade, and she finds this crazy intense online game that she really really likes, and so she wants to stay, and Ralph wants to go, and that's sort of the crux is, you know, can we be friends but but still be you know, in different worlds essentially. There's a great great scene with Vanellope and all of the Disney princesses. That, oh yeah, and they played that to death in the trailer. Well, but not the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's really good. And actually, I think something that's great about this movie, too, is it's so pro-women. I think it's actually a great movie for little girls to see because it shows them that you can do everything that men can do. You know, oh, it, it really is, It really is. you know, don't let anybody tell you you can't do this. And I think, and I think, of course, we took it for Stella's sake, you know. Yeah. And she enjoyed it, but but awesome. I really got a kick out of it. Like when when I watched Wreck It Ralph with Stella the first time, however many years ago that was, I was like, oh yeah, this is fine. But I think Ralph breaks the internet is a, is a lot better. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. So I, you know, it's still in theaters right now, and when you hear this Christmas time, I'm sure it still will be because it's a Disney film, and I'm sure they'll be trying to cha ching as yeah. much as they can. Well, and I think as of this recording, it's it's set to. It's set to like three peat at the box office, right? It's set to be number one for like three weeks in a oh, row. Nice. So we'll we'll have to see when this goes live whether it makes it a fourth week or not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they have some competition, I think. It's got up. yeah, it's got some stiff competition. Yeah. Especially from a film by the uh, the man that we're about to talk about. That is correct. So this episode is not only a tie-in episode, but it's a it's a episode that you got to vote on. So Ian and I decided that we wanted to do. Uh, in a Clint Eastwood movie, but ba- one of the classic ones. Yeah. So, so Eastwood as a director 
is in the book three times. And we decided to not include Unforgiven because it's a newer Western and, and I don't think we have to vote on that one. We'll get to it at some point and we'll, yeah. and we'll do it. Yeah. But we thought it'd be fun to put High Plains Drifter and the outlaw Josie Wales into a poll uh, because Clint Eastwood, as, an, as a director and an actor, is releasing a movie the day that we are dropping this episode. The Mule. The Mule. Which is based on a true story. And looks he's, pretty good. He's, he's been kind of on a kick with those lately. Yeah. With the stories of either true American heroes or uh, stories inspired by real people. Like, I know you're not a huge fan of Jersey Boys, but of course that's based on no, Frankie course, Valley yeah, and the Four, four seasons. seasons. Yeah. yeah. Yep. American Sniper, Sully. Yep. Yep. All of those. Um, so we put it to you, our listeners, and I think pretty... It was pretty tight vote. Yeah, actually. it was neck and neck there for a little bit. Um, and I, you know, I, I actually rented both movies just because I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. Oh, and Liz voted on Outlaw Josie Wales. And I think I, I, I voted. I voted for High Plains Drifter just because it was the one I was the least familiar with. Okay. And I hadn't. Well, and by least familiar, I mean I haven't seen it. So oh, that's awesome. That's why I decided to. Oh, that's vote great because that I've one. seen. I, I love High Plains Drifter. I'll just get that out of the way right now. Uh, I've seen it six or seven times, so I'm excited to get your fresh perspective on it. And thank you to everybody that voted in that poll. Absolutely. Um, so High Plains Drifter, directed by Clint Eastwood, uh, screenplay by Ernest Tidyman. The main cast, of course, there's a... It's oh, a before you before you jump on, ooh. Ernest Tidyman uh, wrote the novel that Shaft is based on. Oh. And also wrote the screenplay for it and won an Oscar for French Connection. There you go. Adapted that novel as well. Awesome. So... Pretty good screenwriter yeah. behind the movie. Oh, he was he was huge at this time. Main cast: Clint Eastwood, obviously. Uh, and I don't. Here's the thing: I don't know a lot of these people, so I'm just gonna say the names. And Ian, if you have another tidbit like that, feel free to, to put oh, it yeah, out no, there. I'll, I'll jump right in. Okay. So uh, there for, is one right away. There is one that you should know, though. Mariana Hill, who plays Callie, mm-hmm. uh, she was Fredo's wife in Godfather Part Two. I don't think I knew that off the top of my head. Yeah. But now that I'm trying to. Put those you, pictures you, together, you it makes see sense. see the face there, right? Yeah. There. So there you go. There's Mariana Hill. Yep. Um, uh, Verna Bloom. Uh, the only other thing I know her from is she is uh, Jesus's mother. She's Mary, mother of Christ, in um, Scorsese's uh, Last, Last Temptation. Temptation right? Now, this is Verna Bloom? Yes. Or is it? Okay. Um, Ted Hartley plays her husband in the movie. Mitchell Ryan plays Dave Drake. Now, Mitchell Ryan is when one of my like top five guilty pleasures of all time. He's the main bad guy in the first lethal weapon. He's, oh, he's like, yeah. he's, he's Jake Busey's. That's what it is. No, he's sorry. He's Gary Busey's what, boss. Watching, watching the movie. I knew he looked familiar. I mean, younger, uh, that, obviously. That voice is unmistakable. Oh though. man. That's thank you. He's got a, a very sort of big booming voice. Yeah. yeah. Jack Ging, Stefan, the mayor, I don't know how to say this guy's last name. Billy Curtis uh, and Walter Barnes. Those were all the names I wrote down. Now, Billy Curtis played Mordecai. Mordecai. Great character in this movie. Yeah. I absolutely love Mordecai. He gets uh, yeah, he gets kicked around a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. Um, so, as we said, the movie um, Outlaw, uh, High Plains Drifter is in the book. Um, the other two films by uh, Eastwood in the book are The Outlaw, Josie Wales, and Unforgiven. Should we deal with this right away? That those are the only three of his in the book because I know that we both feel very strongly. Let's not. Okay. Because I think I think at the end it'll come up. Okay. I know that actually I know that it will come up. Yeah. We'll when circle it, back. Yeah. When it comes to stats, not anything really to report. Nothing. No, no, awards, no awards. No accolades. Um, it does have a very high Rotten Tomato score. Ninety six. At ninety six percent. 
The audience is a little far behind it, though, 85. Yes. Which I can understand. It's kind of a, a polarizing film, especially if you, you know, say you saw this in 73. I'm sure you were expecting a much different movie than what Eastwood was delivering. You think so? I do. Because he he does a lot of things that turn some of those Western tropes on their head, and he's he, he always, up to this point, had played gruff characters, but you always kind of knew what his motivations were. Where in this, it's it's very unclear. It is very what unclear. he's doing there and why he's acting the way that he does. And you know, very yeah, he does some very brutal things in the first fifteen minutes of this movie. Y- yeah, um, but that leads us into me talking about turning Western tropes on its head. Usually, one or both of us has uh, a quote that we like. I don't I don't have a quote, but I was very interested to find out. I didn't know this that John Wayne wrote. Eastwood a letter. I did hear about this. Saying that's not what the West was all about. It was a very strongly worded letter to how he felt Eastwood had bastardized Western cinema. Oh, not Western cinema, but the Western genre. Yeah, I heard about that too. Which John is great. wasn't a very big fan of this movie. No. I do have a review. Okay. And I, I'm going to reveal my cards here kind of early. So this is from Vincent Canby from the New York Times um, back in 1973. High Plains Drifter, with Eastwood as director as well as star, is part ghost story, part revenge western, more than a little silly and often quite entertaining in a way that makes you wonder if you have lost your good sense. The violence of the film, including a couple murders by bullwhipping, is continual and explicit. It exalts and delights in a kind of pitiless Old Testament wrath. However, it is also apparent that neither Ernest Tidyman, who wrote the screenplay, nor Eastwood are taking themselves too seriously. Eastwood's characterization of the stranger who settles God's score with, with Lago is a high parody of the soft-featured, brutal man with no name he played in those bitter Sergio, Sergio Leone westerns. Ian, I did not like this movie. Oh, that, that breaks my heart. I did not like this movie. Oh, that's a shame. And so, let's get into it. Where would you like to take this conversation? Well, do you want to do you want to break it down for the boys and girls the uh, the plot if uh, they're not familiar with it? The plot, in terms of like, I mean, without going too deep, I think on the surface level is is it's pretty, pretty easy pretty to basic. explain. Um, yeah. Eastwood shows up to Lago. We don't know his name. We don't really know what his agenda is. I think he's credited as the stranger, the stranger in yes. the credits. Yeah. And a few minutes into the movie, he's killed three men. And not un- not totally unprovoked. No, no, no. Oh, no. I'm not saying no. I, yeah, he was provoked. I'm just saying he he's he's killed a couple of guys. Uh, um, he rapes the Cali character. He certainly does, which is something that has not aged well. No, at all. No. Um, especially with the whole her giving in to him midway through. It's it's a really awkward scene. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you know, not knowing totally what to expect of this movie going into it. That happens, and I'm because like because I'm I won't lie. Like you're right. The first fit 10, 15 minutes before that moment. I'm into it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, the silence is great. The hazy, he's coming up. The score is fantastic. The score is good. The score by um, D. Barton really smacks of those those uh, scores that Morricone did for uh, Sergio Leone. It's got that sort of flavor to it. So this will come up, and I, I took some notes, so I will let you know. I feel like Eastwood stole a lot. From Leone? From a lot of Westerns. Whether, and whether it was his intention or a combination of him and the script or whatever, but uh, this film smacks of referencing classic westerns. And I do not know westerns very well, but when I can pinpoint, oh, I see what you're ripping off there, that's saying something. Because westerns as a genre to me are kind of over my head. Like I just – I haven't spent enough time yeah. with them. Yeah. 
you so, get you get some uh, bad day at Blackrock because that's the the one that I instantly go to with this. I thought more high noon. Okay. You know that the, these guys are coming back to town to seek their vengeance and. Oh, you're talking and, about the three criminals later yes, on. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they, yeah, and they and they're gonna well, and that's that's part of it. That's part of where I think this stole from. I also agree with the review that this smacks of Sergio Leone, not just in terms of the style, but also the fact that his character is nameless and yeah. and you know. Well, that's what I'm talking about when I mentioned earlier. I'm sure a lot of people were kind of thrown for a loop when they they went into an Eastwood movie and expected you know, a certain good, the bad, and the ugly feel to it. And then it, it, what I respect about this film and respect about Eastwood is how he takes those people's expectations and completely flips them. Yeah, no, he does. I, I feel like, well, okay, hold on. I don't want to go. We should, let's, let's try to get the plot out. Yeah. So the town is Marshall-less and they decide, hey, random stranger who's good with a gun, let's make you the marshal of our town. And he's like, sure. And they're doing this because they know that these three these three criminals that were in jail basically because the town put them there, they're getting released and they're pretty sure they're going to come back and, and wreak havoc on yeah, the Yeah, they're going to seek their revenge. Yeah. And so Eastwood is there to essentially take care of the situation. And along the way, and I'm sure we'll get into the specifics, has some fun with them, has some fun at his own expense. We find out that the town has a seedy underbelly with the the mining corporation and and the fact that they essentially are the ones who they allowed that crime to happen yeah say, I, they I, all I, just stood around and watched as yes. their former sheriff was and I, whipped to death and i do believe that some of the townspeople are guilty just by being there and watching some of them clearly had more of a oh absolutely hands-on like please make this happen yeah and so basically and i'm totally doing a bad job i'm just kind of summing up the basic plot so we can get more into it. Basically, Eastwood does take care of the three guys as they come back, but Eastwood also takes care of a lot of the not-so-great people of the town along the way. Yeah, so he when certainly he, puts Lewis in his place, the guy that owns the hotel, the hell, yes. Yeah, with the, the guys tearing down his barn to make the picnic tables. Yeah. And that's, I, that's a great scene. And, as, and then as the stranger leaves, the town, you're hoping, is in a better position it was... Before he got there, and he leaves, and we never, never know his name, and that's like the or, bare or bones. do we? Yeah, well, and I'll you can go ahead. I'll I'll follow your lead on that. Oh, on, as, on who, as to whether he, he actually and, is and what and you know. Well, the script was a lot more implicit in in who it was. It was the the dead mar. It was Duncan is the the marshal or the the sheriff who gets killed, or no, he I believe he was a marshal. He's the town's marshal, he gets killed, and then his yeah. brother shows up to seek revenge. Well, Eastwood wanted a lot more ambiguity. Yes. And so all the references to him being Duncan's brother, they're all gone. At least from the English-language version of the film, I guess uh, a lot of the European dubbings add all that back in. Oh. So the, I guess the German dubbing and the, the French one as well add references to the brother back in there. So I guess they probably used the script as their basis for oh, yeah, maybe. recording that dialogue. I remember... So we get the very awkward rape scene, and then not too much later, he's he's basically got a room, and, and it it the movie cuts from him going to sleep to what you can't tell is is it a vision or a dream or whatever, but we see the first clip of the marshal being bullwhipped, 
Right. Which and, I feel comes a little too early because I think it reveals his motivations for being there a little sooner than I would like them to be well, there. And I see, would like some more ambiguity. And so how many times had you seen this movie before? This is probably about my sixth or seventh time. See, it, it's funny because it. like I wasn't even I wasn't even near that. I was more like, what am I seeing? And not like I'm not confused yeah. about I get that this guy is being bullwhip, but who's from whose perspective am I seeing this? Because if it's because I was confused because like if it's Eastwood dreaming it or whatever or like or in, or visioning it in his head with so little with so little backstory to know I'm like well I, I still don't get what's was he here is he the man being bullwhipped yeah is, exactly exactly is he one of the guys doing the bullwhipping and, and is it he came one of the so witnesses? early it was it was yeah. a little it was a little confusing yeah no I would have liked the first flashback to come a little that's that's my one big complaint is I think that comes too soon yeah so some of the other films that this kind of steals from. I've already mentioned Leone. I've already mentioned High Noon. High Noon, thank you. And I said Bad Day at Black Rock. Yeah. The other one is Magnificent Seven in the terms of and mostly in the sense of training the town to get ready for oh, these guys to come back. Oh, running the drills and yeah, yeah. Um and then the other one and Well, that in turn steals from Seven Samurai, I mean. Well, yeah. And then Kurosawa stole it still stole from Ford, so I, I mean it, it goes I know. it goes back. Well, speak and speaking of Ford, the other movie that I thought of too was The Searchers because The Searchers starts and ends with the same image and so does this with him oh, riding out of the haze. Then, yeah. yeah. Um, which and I, and I'm not saying that any of those shots or plot devices or whatever are bad. It was just Watching this movie, it it seemed very apparent to me. And all of these movies, of course, came out before, so it was easy for me to go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can see where the." I I want to say inspiration, but it seemed more straight up. Just I'm taking these and I'm going to use them. Yeah. Unlike, well, if you're going to steal, steal from the best, right? Well, no, well, sure, but I feel like I feel like Tarantino films, and you know, spoiler, I'm a huge Tarantino fan. But Tarantino seems to actually, I would say he is inspired by movies and then makes his own thing based on the inspiration. You know, we can see his movies and they, they might remind us of something, but it's hard to maybe put your finger on it. it you can like think of the genre maybe, right? Yeah. Oh, this movie think, makes me think of, of Westerns or, or, you know, the you know, a Kung Fu action movie or whatever. But when I was watching this, I straight up, I felt like I was seeing more explicit references to certain films, yeah. which means whatever. But it was just something that came to my mind was the direct correlation to certain movies. I'm not going to go on the, the defensive, but I will throw out that this is only Eastwood's second film as director. Sure. Because he did perfect the Western of the of the day a few years later without uh, Josie Wales. I feel like this is like the big stepping stone to get you to outlaw Josie Wales, which is a, a masterpiece of Western cinema, right? Which I haven't seen. Oh, I know, man. I know. You're I, killing I, me. I've I've put it out there. Westerns are not my. Yeah. They're not my genre. But we will get to it at some point. Yeah. But you saying that reminds me of our our, our third lines. podcast, our Badlands <laughs> debate. Yeah. And that, and and we're not very far into this podcast, so we're not we're not ending anything now, yeah. but. Yeah, I definitely as, don't as far think... as stepping stones and things. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. I um, I do feel like this. Uh, the reason I appreciate it, and I guess we're we're gonna get there already, but the reason I feel like it deserves to be in the book is is because of the tropes that it turns on its head, and because of how implicit and explicit it is with some of its violence and some of its uh, some of its themes of revenge. Well, I again, I think the first, I think the first ten to twelve minutes of that movie. Are great. Yeah. I really do. 
I think him going to the bar. I remember writing down, why are you messing with him? Just let him let's let him have his oh, drink. Oh, no, and well, here's uh, get into some of the dialogue in yeah. this film. The dialogue is incredible. It's pretty it, good. It, throughout the whole film. I mean, when he gets there and he says, uh, you know, he asks for um, a, a beer and a bottle of whiskey and the bartender says, anything else? Yeah, peaceful hour to drink it in. That, to me, is just, that is Eastwood at his best. Just his delivery there is just stone cold, just leave me the hell alone. I, and, and he's like that the whole film. He's got another great one where he's running the drills that we mentioned. Oh, and uh, I, I, I the guy he, comes up behind yes. him with the knife, and he's like, you're going to look real silly with that knife stuck up your ass. Yeah. Like, this is Eastwood really. And that's a great two-parter because then, like, minutes later, he's like, you still here? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's And there are some very kind of quick-witted fun things. I also like the one where Callie comes in to shoot him in the tub. Oh, and, and he Mordecai, comes back up, and he's like, I wonder what took her so long. And Mordecai says, maybe because you didn't go back. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a little oh, a little messed up. God. I mean, yeah, there is some misogyny that runs through this film. I'm not going to excuse it. And it's it's just, it's so, it's interesting in a movie where within the first 15 minutes of it, there is a very blatant rape that yeah. happens. And the that, town does nothing about it because no. they, they want this guy on their side. But that later, the the wife of Oh, the, she gives in to him as well. Yeah, and but that is more like he he's obviously not making a move. He's yeah. he's he's making a move without doing anything, I should right. say. Yeah. Um and it kind of in, in his own kind of laid back way gets her to they they, they do have sex and but it's that you're not you don't you don't see that one happen and go no, yeah. because the first one is yeah. is pretty like oh, and then she does like for a split second. It seems like she she gives in, but it's it's weird. Well, yeah, it's like the it's, whole James Bond and Goldfinger thing. You yeah, know, that's yeah. Forty two no's and a yes is still yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, something to look up to, kids. Yeah, right. Uh, we're not advocating that, by the way. Not at all. Not at all. I hope by now people can tell when we're being sarcastic. Yeah, I, I but, should hope so. Yeah. Uh, another thing that I want to, to call out for Eastwood as, as for being a great director, this really set up his working style. Uh, the way that people talk about working with Eastwood is it's two or three takes. He's very quiet. He doesn't say action. He's not one of these yelly, in-your-face directors. He apparently lets actors get on with it. I believe after uh, completing Changeling, Angelina Jolie said, I don't want to be directed by anybody else my entire career. Um, that's a good, that's that's awesome. That, what, that's a great compliment. You couldn't say anything better about the man. Yeah, right? but it, it really set the bar for what he was going to become as a director. This thing came in both under budget and before it was slated to. I think he came in under budget in two days ahead of schedule. Yeah, which is incredible considering that they built the town of Lago and yeah. they didn't just build facades. They built that as a full three D environment. Like you could go into that thing, and he was like, "I don't want to shoot." any of the interiors on stage, I want to be able to go into any one of these houses. Yeah. Um, which, that's great. I mean, you don't want to, if you, if you can do something, if you can have, because the camera follows him in and out of buildings, yeah. you, go, you see the whole town. That's it's, one of the other things I appreciate about this. You can tell it's not a backlot. It's shot on location as yes, well. Yeah. At Mono Lake, mm-hmm. which is absolutely gorgeous. One of my favorite shots in the whole film is as the three criminals are riding back out of jail. There's the one of them. They're kind of, tailing Eastwood a little bit after their gunfight in the canyon. And uh, there's the shot of the three of them riding across the shore with the sun kind of going down. It's one of the most incredible shots Mm -hmm. in Westerns, period. 
I, I found the camera work to be hit and miss. Really? Because there's, there's a lot of times where the zoom there's, – there's some zoom in and out, which I don't – it's not the zoom – it's not the fact that he uses Zoom. I know that was very much of the late 60s and 70s. Yeah. But sometimes it's really jerky. You can actually at times see the camera kind of not quite – it's not quite where it needs to be. Um, and, and that's the thing too is it's mixed in with moments of really nice, smooth camera work. So I do think yeah, he hadn't he hadn't quite developed his – his sort of cast of characters that he would go on to work with well, sure. and I, for I, I the mean, bulk of his career. I, I believe he was still at Universal. This is before he, because, I mean, he's had a long working relationship with Warner Brothers, and this is one of the, yeah. the six or seven that he did for Universal before he really started to get in a groove. Yeah. And it's also not the only film he made that year. As far as a director, he is certainly one of the most prolific directors as far as multiple projects per year. I know sure. somebody else's Spielberg. Spielberg has done some really big things yeah. uh, in the same year. Obviously, the biggest one being, I think, Jurassic Park and Schindler's, Schindler's List. List. I have no idea how you do those two films in one year, but I, I, I have the I list here. I don't want to get on a tangent. No. Well, uh, we should maybe do a double episode and just do those two together so maybe. That we can just address that. Yeah. But if you'll, if you'll bear with me, I actually I have the list. So he's done two films in one year multiple times this being the first one he also did a film called breezy in 73 it'd be a little while before he did it again but he did it in 82 with firefox and honky tonk man uh 1990 with white hunter blackheart and the rookie 97 absolute power and midnight in the garden of good and evil i mean that's that's impressive to me those are both fantastic films i don't know if you've seen i've seen midnight in the garden of good and evil i don't think i've seen absolute power that's uh gene hackman i think it's found with uh with a dead prostitute i, I knew there was some kind of he's got to do some oh i think he no i think he's a, a thief in that one and he discovers gene hackman he's stealing from this hotel room and there's a I, I don't remember the plot exactly but it's great performance from hackman sure again a little while before he would do it again 2006 obviously saw flags of our fathers and letters from iwo jima which again incredible feats and intentional yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, not that it wasn't intentional the other years, but those two specifically were, were shot concurrently. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, 2008, we've already mentioned Changeling. He also did Gran Torino that yep. year as well. And those came out fairly quick back to back. I feel like that was like October, December. Yeah, it was pretty quick. If I remember. Because I mean, they were both, not that you can't come out earlier than that, but they were both kind of Oscar-y contender yeah, movies. Yeah. Uh, Gran Torino obviously being the one that was a little more prolific. But didn't get any Oscar love. It didn't, but it, it felt like it was the one that had the bigger Oscar push. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. 2014, we had Jersey Boys and American Sniper, yep. which I know you're not a big fan of, Jer- of Jersey Boys. I but, am not. Nope. But still, I mean... Love the musical. Love the musical. But, I mean, still, those are two huge projects to knock yeah, out. Yeah, no, they year. are. Absolutely. And then again, this year, he's had the 1517 to Paris, which I haven't seen yet, and I then know, the I Mule, know. which will be dropping this weekend. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... To have done that as many times as he has speaks to just how... well. Talented and, and how how great he is at and, managing his time. And, and imagine, wait, so it was 2000, 2008 was Changeling and Gran Torino? Yes. I remember the, the kind of the storyline around both of those was, look at what he's doing in his 80s. Yeah. And now it's like, no, 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 no. Now look at what he's doing when he's 90. Yeah. That is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's ins- I mean let's be real. It's insane for any person, but to... Direct the 1517 to Paris, which, of course, he was just directing, and then to direct and act in this film. And he's never been shy to be to uh, being the lead in the movie he's in, which, of course, he is in this. And, of course, he's surrounded by great actors, too. But it, it, it's nuts. 
it's it's crazy nuts, and I applaud him yeah. because that's that's ambitious, and most of the time what he puts out is really, really good. And He's, even when it's not great, it still looks good, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, there's still, you know, I guess you would say AAA titles as far as, you know, Hollywood productions. Yeah. I mean, they're certainly not B-movies oh, by, any, no. by any stretch. Yeah. I think the only other American director that comes to mind for me that has been that consistent with his output is Woody Allen. But then again, there is far less consistency, I think, with his films. For me, when Woody Allen makes, it's it's usually for me, it's it's one for every three. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with that. Definitely. You wouldn't, I put Spielberg, would you put, I would put Spielberg above Woody Allen. Well, Woody Allen. Allen seems like he's every year. I don't think Woody Allen has missed a year I guess that's true. I guess I just sometimes I feel like I just they're so low key. I don't even yeah, think they, about they, it. Yeah, they're there and gone. But I, I you take a look at his filmography. That's true. He's, no, it's he's barely missed a year yeah. since Annie Hall. Which, well, and we'll, we won't go down this tangent, but it's impressive that he's doing it. But it's also impressive with just his yeah his persona. Like yeah. I can't believe he's still working that much. Absolutely. Well, and there are a few Europe. people that just flat out won't work with him. Yeah. And we can we can address those issues. I mean, we can address those now with with Eastwood. I absolutely separate the man from his work because his political well, ideals don't align with my own. His political ideals and just his his. I think there's a times where he's off his rocker a little bit in in real life. But um, I do respect him so much for shutting Spike Lee down. I don't know if you remember this. I don't when, know that I do. Uh, so when Flags of Our Fathers and Letters from Iwo Jima came out, Spike Lee went on a huge rant about how there's no African-Americans represented in these films. Well, okay, but there's Eastwood was being true to history. African-Americans at that time, right or wrong, which I'd say was wrong, they, they didn't serve in the same way. A, a lot of those guys, a lot of African-Americans who went to Iwo Jima were on the ships. None of them stormed, you know, the Iwo Jima beach yeah. as it was. And so Eastwood was just being true to history. It's not that, oh, I'm deliberately going out of my way to cut African-Americans out of out of the movies. I'm being true to history. Well, and it seems, and I think something else you have to give Eastwood a, a huge applause on, which is it's not, he didn't just make Flags of Our Fathers. Yeah. Which would have been one thing. And, and I, think, I think Letters from Iwo Jima is the better movie. Oh, there's no debate there. And then, it, it just it's it's tough because there's always it always seems like there's like there's an injured party if you want to see it that way yeah but Clint Eastwood made a major motion picture that was in, with entirely Japanese actors yeah so it's it's hard and it's because, and it's in Japanese yeah exactly I mean it, it's tough that we would see it one way and not the other which to my understanding he's not a hundred percent fluent in Japanese so he had there was a bit of trust there oh I'm I, there had to be yeah as far as you know having interpreters and making sure that the dialogue is being said in the way that he wants it to be said and that it's uh, you know as close to a literal translation as you can get because I know there's a lot of nuances in the Japanese language that just don't translate sure and vice versa I'm sure there I mean so knowing this is him a, and knowing the way that he works I would imagine that that was the case because it's also their story. You know, he's trying to help tell it, but I think with whatever script it was that came about anyway, like, let's have them say it the way they need to say it. Yeah. And we'll make, I think it's more, we'll make it work for our audiences to make sure that th- their story is coming across the right way. Yeah. And I just want to clarify that that wasn't a dig necessarily at Spike Lee. I just think that he chose the wrong person to take a stand against in an argument like that. 
I don't I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I, I think Spike Lee is a confrontational person. And I don't mean that in a bad way either. I think he's one of those people who wants to hear, I'm going to make you think about something. And I, I totally respect that. Chir- yeah. Chirac was one of the best movies I saw that year. You know, I still haven't seen that. Oh, you are going to be blown away by it. I think you're going to be extremely pleasantly surprised because I know that I've recommended a Spike Lee movie or two to you that you haven't been so thrilled with, but I think you'll really like. Is that true? Yeah, you said you, do, you weren't a huge fan of Do the Right Thing. I have certain issues with Do the Right Thing. And when we get to that episode, right, I will tell I, you about that. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the other one you were going to say is the 25th hour, and I like 25th hour. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, could, yeah. I couldn't remember your yeah. stance on that one. No, no I, I like that one. Okay. I, and actually, then the third one I might have recommended to you would have been Inside Man. I uh, know, and I see, I really like Inside yeah, I, Man. I like that one a lot. And maybe it's because it's the most unspikely of his movies, but I... It still I, has spikely moments in it. Oh, no, it does. It does, but it, it doesn't... It feels more like a procedural. Like, it, it just... Yeah, yeah. It doesn't... I mean, it has him of his... His own quirkiness to it, some of yeah. his own Spike Lee-isms in it. But the way it's shot, it looks – it almost looks like a Michael Mann film. Like, well, pre yeah. – like, like, heat Michael Mann. Yeah, absolutely. Not not that crazy over-the-shoulder insider Ali stuff. Yeah, But, yeah. like, you know, Mohicans oh, I heat. I had never drawn that comparison before. Interesting. Anyway, that's enough about Spike Lee. Yeah. We're here to talk about Clint Eastwood. And High Plains Drifter. Absolutely. Uh, do you have a favorite shot? I think for me, and again, I don't know if this is cheating, but I think it's it's got to be like the whole the whole opening of it. Yeah, because I think the way that I love the quirkiness of the of the barber, you know, the guys coming like his whole his hand shaking and he can't quite give him the oh, shave. The barber's great. When when Eastwood shoots the guy through the 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 base like the giant bib, you yeah. know, covering him, I, I was like, that's that, that that was awesome. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. They didn't see it coming. I I, I really really enjoyed. Meeting the stranger. Yeah. So I want to address further. So you're pulled out about 15 minutes in. Because of the rape? Yeah. That doesn't help. And then when we get to the vision, the first time we see the, the, the bull whipping of the marshal. Yeah. I'm confused. Okay. And not in a not in a bad way. You're, you're still willing to go with it. Yeah. Okay. But I'm also, I'm not as eager because at this point, I don't. I don't know if Eastwood's involved in the bull whipping. I have no idea. We don't see enough of, I don't think we see enough of that moment to know even where it is necessarily. I mean, if you really think about it, do we know that the bull whipping at that moment is happening in Lago? Oh, no. So we see this weird murder. Yeah. I mean, it comes out of nowhere. This is right after the rape. And then we're to the next morning and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to go forward, but I'm also like, what am I watching? Yeah, why is nobody reacting to why he's in town or what he's doing? And then there are so many things that he does that I like and so many things where I'm like, dude, like I, I'm not particularly fond of him like just, you know, around for all these people and oh, but we said we'd give him whatever he wanted. So he's just basically having everybody drink for free. Yeah. But I do love when they make um, the owner of that shop give the blankets to the Native oh, that's, Americans. That's a great moment. And so, so I'm left going like, who the hell is this guy? Because yeah, like, there are moments where are... I hate him, yeah. and moments where I'm like, yeah, good for you. Yeah, make that owner give him the blankets. It's it's weird. Like the way he is with Mordecai, I I, I enjoy. I love that he makes him the mayor and the sh- is sheriff. The he mayor makes and the him sheriff, mayor and sheriff, which is great. It's a funny little thing. But then he does. Then there's questionable things he does too, and I. Like I, kicking all the people out of the hotel. Yeah. Which, but, I, but I think he does that to further 
and I and I know how that can be a, a jarring moment. And maybe if you're you've come back around to being on his side, then he does that, and you're like, well, now I don't like him again. But I think he does that very specifically because he has the exchange with the preacher, and all he's trying the whole time he's there, his intentions are just to show these people for what they are, how how corrupt they are, how willing they are to stand by and just watch evil things happen in order to make sure that the money keeps coming in from the mining company that's yeah. there. The, the preacher has the line where, how can you do this? These are your brothers and sisters. How, or no, he says, how can you do this to your brothers? And he's like, they're not my brothers. If they're yours, why don't, you, uh, why don't you let them into your home? And then the preacher turns around and says, okay, folks, we'll find space for all of yeah. you. But at regular rates. You know, it's not going to cost you any more than it cost you to stay in this hotel. So yeah. it's not like, oh, we're going to, you know, this guy just kicked you out of your room. We're going to take care of you. No, we're going to take care of you, but it's going to cost you a little something to stay here. Yeah. So that's, that's to me, I, that's one of my, again, one of my favorite moments in the movie is to further expose even their preacher. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, and the, the little town meetings they have, I mean, there's nobody really worth liking. Yeah. I mean, you get the the wife of the uh, the innkeeper, who I like, who kind of, she kind of keeps him on his toes, which yeah. which I like. Um, and Mordecai, you, you kind of just have to enjoy. He's he's, yeah. he's a treat. Yeah, I love the back and forth between Louis, the, the innkeeper, and, and Sarah, the wife. Yeah. The kind of there, and the fact that, you know, after her and Eastwood have spent the night together, the... the uh, the truth really comes out about why they allowed this sheriff to, or this marshal to be killed is the fact that he knew the, the mine, the, the mine was on government property. And so they're like, well, we have to put a stop to him saying anything to anybody about that. Otherwise all this will just be eaten up and disappeared. You know, we won't, you know, the fruits of our labor will go back to the government yeah. essentially. And so she says, you know, we, we hid this murder behind, you know, faith and peace and we tried to you know we we covered it up and now it's time for us to sort of reap what we have sown you know for there there for me if there's nobody to like for you in this movie then then hang cling to that at least there at the end we have one good soul come out of this town yeah and she's gonna just she's gonna leave she's like i can't live with this anymore i and i do love that she really does a great job of hinting at Eastwood maybe being Eastwood and the Marshal being the same person, like the Marshal come back from the dead because she says, you know, it's said that no soul can rest without a marker. You know, they didn't put a gravestone yeah. for him. They didn't put a tombstone there for him, which leads to the end with, you know, there's the pullback. Mordecai, when he does right out of town after the conversation with the criminals, you know, there's the pullback of, of Mordecai saying, I never knew your name. He said, yes, you did rides off and then you get the great pullback and he has carved Duncan yes. into the tombstone. So that kind of play well, is Eastwood is Eastwood the same guy or is he this avenging angel? Is he the devil they hint at him being the devil uh, yes, himself yes. at some point. And, and it's it's funny because I you can't I, Ian is really gleeful talking about this moment and and my reaction to the end of the movie was I'm kinda happy it's over. Oh that's that's shame. I I love it. I just I shamefully love this film. It's just as I as I mentioned before, the fact that it turns all those Western tropes on its head. The fact that Eastwood is not the most likable character. He's not. He's not like Blondie in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where you instantly love him. Well, but and want I, him I to don't. Succeed. I don't have to. I don't. Like, no, and I'm not saying that you do. No, no, I know. But it's you know, like, and I I shouldn't compare the two. But Unforgiven, him, him, in Unforgiven, you know, he's not a very likable guy in that. We we're meeting we're meeting him much later in life after the things that he's done have already happened. It's almost like like will, that, that was William Money, 
right yeah. back in the day and now and now we're seeing now we're seeing him with his kids and you know later in life but we still know that he's not a great guy i i don't know and i i love the way he messes with the town i mean painting the town red is that's got to be one of the most iconic things in western in in the western genre for me i mean obviously there's all the there's all the monument valley stuff yeah, that John Ford did. I mean, there's all those those like Bad Day at Black Rock is another one that I keep coming back to. For mm-hmm. me, that whole thing is just such a great story, dealing with Japanese internment and things like that. Which again, you don't. It takes them a while to get to that point, but when they do finally reveal what his intentions are, again, like in in this movie. Yeah, but there's just there's something so deliciously fun and ridiculous about him making them paint the town red and then painting hell over lago i do <laughs> it is and it is it's like the i love the the he could be the devil himself for all we know there's a great sh- they 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 one of the one of the mining company guys says it's like the devil himself is ridden into town and he's turning all the he's turning the town against itself and then there's a great shot because we haven't really addressed the criminals at all talking about this but when they do come back yeah uh and they eastwood has for all they know, left them to deal with this by themselves as their punishment. Yeah. Which, again, is another thing that I love, that he just rides through town, and they're all standing around going, wait, wait, hang on, no, they're coming. Where where are you going? Like, the looks on their faces, like, oh, we're so screwed. But they've got them all cornered in the bar, right? And then he has a bullwhip himself, and he gets the one guy around the neck and pulls him out of the bar, which is a great, another great shot. Yeah. But, and then it leads into him whipping the guy to death, and there's the flames behind him. Oh, yeah. As he's doing that, and like I just, I love the idea that I'm not going to say that this is my my preferred opinion about who he is, but I love the idea that he could in fact be the devil. Sure, there is. I remember thinking one of the one of the earliest images in the movie. He's still riding through. I don't, I don't think he's even gotten off of his horse yet, and there's an open casket, just kind of leaned up. Yeah, and I remember thinking that's that's got to mean something. You know, I, I try to think now that directors aren't going to leave anything on the screen that we did we weren't intended to see, and I don't think it was just oh hey look there's a a casket maker in this town. I well, don't unless think... you're unless you're Guillermo del Toro, but well yeah. But <laughs> sorry, it, continue. It was more I tried to find, you know, whose grave is that going to be, or you know what what is that trying to say? You know that no. something something hasn't been something still hasn't been laid to rest. That this town still has whatever, and I get all of that. I, I get everything that you're saying, and I do. I found some of the moments of action to be really good, and I found some of the moments that are kind of funny, funny. And I I'm I, I actually agree with you on a lot of these things. I just think I can't add up all those bits and pieces to make a movie that I at the end really enjoyed. If that makes sense. Yeah. Oh no, absolutely. So I mean, yeah. So for you, the the sum is is less than than the parts. Yeah. In this case. Yeah. You know, because because yeah, you're right. I mean, there are the there are moments in the movie that are, are really fun, and I and I, I I guess basically my summation would be that the movie doesn't live up to the first ten minutes after that for me, hmm. for me, because I just I think the stuff with the mind seems really thrown in. It seems kind of like an afterthought. Well, he's got to. We've got to have some reason that we've killed this marshal, and it's in there. But it seems really. Is there anything else you you would have done? Like as the reason as to why the the Duncan was killed. I. Because I, I mean, it, it does take them a while to reveal the conspiracy. As I, as I mentioned, that he's killed because he knows that the mine is on government property. Yeah, and I, I like personally, I like that reveal. 
I like that the town is is more involved than we even first suspected because we think they're just bystanders and they're they're maybe a scare. They have the the fight or flight and they don't want to intervene because they're afraid that maybe they won't succeed in overpowering these three men. But then you come to find out that a lot of them want it to happen. Yeah, well, and that's I think maybe maybe part of it too would have would have I would have enjoyed seeing more of the town against what they were doing. Because you're either, I feel like if you were a townsperson, you were either in those meetings, you know, kind of colluding the whole thing and, yeah. and making sure that the money was still coming in and that, the, you know, that, we, that, that information about the, where the mine was didn't get out. So you're either one of them or you were just like nameless, faceless person in the back who didn't have any lines. So yeah. we didn't really know what you thought. Yeah. Um, until, well, so are you wanting the conspiracy to have maybe been a little bit more implicit? That and seeing the other side of it, because I guess really, besides maybe Mordecai and uh, and the wife, like the ta- the other the other say that half of the town wasn't for that. Yeah, maybe them being suppressed is what you yes. I mean. Okay. Yeah, so I, something I, okay. I don't know, and I don't know. I'm really just spitballing here in the moment. Yeah, no, but. that's fine. Would you would you say that the movie could be longer then, or do you feel that it's a good to to deal with certain things like that, or are you happy with the length? Because it's about I, an hour and 45, yeah, I think. Yeah, as is, I think it's fine. Okay. Because it just zips by for me. It was, and it was a pretty quick watch. Yeah. You know. It's funny, you talking about flipping these tropes on their head. I felt like I just kept seeing the tropes, and I was like, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe from a, uh, an aesthetic point of view, or maybe from the point of view of the way it's shot. No, I, I know. I, I just... But I for know. me, it's, it's about character, character tropes being flipped on their head. Sure. I mean, I'm excited to to keep seeing westerns and keep watching them for what they are. Because I, I think you're gonna like Josie Wills a lot more than than this. And I already know that you you love Unforgiven. Yeah, I do like that movie. It's fantastic. So, Ian, do you think this movie should be in the book? Selfishly, I do. That's what. Yes. Yeah. No, I I do I do think it should be in there, and not because of the same reasons that I think Badlands should in the book it's just i do genuinely really enjoy this one a lot and and i love eastwood in it i love the dialogue and that's i think i think i think a good way and and i'm 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 describing you now ian so (laughs) whatever this is but like when you were talking about badlands i felt like i really watched you try to convince yourself that it needed to be in the book here not at all yeah. You want this to be in the book. I do. And without without I, and I want I want loads of people to see it. Sure. Which is which is which is great. And I I I totally value and respect, and respect that. Is there another western that isn't in the book that you think should go in instead or maybe another Eastwood film that should go in the book instead? And thank you for that wonderful segue there, Ian. There we go. Um, I think we're both going to I I say I will say this at the expense of uh, High Plains Drifter coming out, if it means Mystic River can go, if that has to be what has to happen in order for Mystic River to go in, I I would recant that opinion. I I would still it wouldn't make me love High Plains Drifter any less. Sure, but I do think like if you're gun to your head, if you have to see either Mystic River or High Plains Drifter, you should see Mystic River, which would be my replacement. Yeah, yeah. I mean that is just I I still reel from the fact that Eastwood didn't get director or that it didn't get picture. I love that it got the acting awards that it got, because it got three of them, right? It won two. Oh, and, and Marsha Gay Harden was nominated. Yes. 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 Okay. Yeah, and, and Tim Robbins and Sean Penn won. And it's, 
I think it's Tim Robbins' greatest performance. I mean, Bull Durham and Jacob's Ladder and stuff like that aside, I mean, Tim Robbins is heartbreaking in that film. Yeah. Absolutely. It, and Sean Penn. It's is kind just, of career performances from a lot of people. In yeah, there. Oh, absolutely. Like, Kevin Bacon doesn't blow you away, but he's really good in it, too. Oh, yeah. No, he does exactly what he needs to do in that film. The conversations. It's one of the few. With his wife yes, on the other end, yes. and she doesn't answer that kills me yeah still and that's the thing too it's man it's hard to do a movie where you're following two people like usually you've got your one main person and then they're surrounded by people who you, you see too yeah two people it's that it happens but it can be harder but man you are really following sean penn tim robbins and kevin bacon through yeah. this they've all got their own shit that they're dealing with and and the female characters like marcia gay harden oh yeah she's incredible she has a lot to do in that film Oh, yeah. She's, she's got a lot. That and she Laura Linney's great in it, too. And a, kids, a very young Emmy Rossum, isn't yeah, it? All the all the child actors in it. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think you'll find better child performances outside of, say, a Spielberg film. Sure. For me, Spielberg is one of those He's guys really that, that knows how to get good performances out of children. Yeah. I'd put Eastwood right up there with him. Yeah. Uh, another film being um, really a guilty pleasure of mine. I rewatched it recently. And I will, it's, it's not without its faults and its failures. It is definitely 20 minutes longer than it needs to be, but a perfect world with Kevin Costner. He directed this one. He's, he's in this one as well. And Eastwood directed it. I haven't seen it. I know I can see the poster, but I, yeah. So, uh, Kevin Costner and this guy break out of jail. They're on the lam. They come through this residential area and they end up having to kidnap a child as like leverage. And the kid is a, uh, Jehovah's witness. Oh, so that plays into the plot. And then you have Eastwood who's the, uh, that county marshal or something like that trying to track him and you the, it's there's some great stuff building relationship between Costner it's outside of Elliot Ness I think it is Costner's best performance it's certainly his most underappreciated work yeah I, was, I, I mean I don't know it and and honestly I think I think Kevin Costner's one of those actors who has never never blown me away I don't think he's ever ch- I don't think he's ever challenged himself that's fair I mean, Dances with Wolves, yeah. I mean, that's that's a big ask, considering he's got to direct it, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't feel like we've ever seen his full potential. I, I would agree. Um, but, before, yeah, so... Um, Mystic River. Yes. yes. It, it's, yeah, it really is so good. It's one of those years where... Well, we, we all know Lord why. of the Rings took everything, because, hey, kudos to you, Peter Jackson, for doing these movies. And, obviously, there were no acting noms for Lord of the Rings you know, to, to, to be one. So right. Mystic River picked up where it could. I st- We've had this discussion before, but we should have it here now for the record. Million Dollar Baby obviously took picture and director the next year. And yes. for me, that's one of those makeup Oscars. Like, I, sorry, Clint, we had to give it to Pete this year. I agree. Next year's your year. And and I agree. And it's one, of the, it's one of the few years where I actually don't mind that they did it because that was a fairly weak year for films. Sure. It's, well, and I should say, let me let me let me clarify that. It was a weak year for the films they decided to, to put up for Best Picture because that year, so Million Dollar Baby won The Aviator, which I'm only okay with. I like The Aviator a lot more than than I let on. I, for me, that is, if I can do a quick, very quick tangent, that's the movie where Leo grows up for me. Oh no! Oh, I I agree. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, Finding Neverland, which I could care less about. Yeah. Ray, which I think it's more about the performance than it is about the movie. Yeah. 
And because it's not a great biopic. No. I mean, Jamie Foxx elevates it. Yeah. And then my, my personal favorite of the movies I'm about to talk about, but certainly by no means the best picture winner of the year, which is Sideways, which I, I love that movie. Yeah. Sideways is fantastic. But you look at those movies as as a, the five best picture nominees, and you're like, yeah, just give it to Clint. Yeah. Why not? I mean, there's no, there was no, like, what's going to... There really wasn't even any, like... I think it's a shame that Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind came out as early as early in the year as it did because it kind of got forgotten about. For yeah. me, you can take Finding Neverland out right now and throw Eternal oh, please, Sunshine. And take then, it out. And then Million Dollar Baby actually has some competition. Sure. I, th- I mean, I think I think everything being what it is, Eternal Sunshine is, has certainly been... Yeah, fawned over and 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 loved and embraced I think a lot. It'll be remembered long after Million Dollar Baby is forgotten. At least I hope. Anyway, <laughs> I I don't like Million Dollar Baby. Didn't like it the first time I saw it. I've seen it two or three times since, and my opinion has not changed. I do I I do like it, but it's certainly not for Hillary Swank's performance. For me, it's Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman is like the lynch. He, of that he's film. really good. He is really good. But this brought up an interesting thing that that Ian decided to do, and so we're gonna we're gonna. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if anybody liked what I did with the Brazil episode where I went through and ranked They games. hated it. I'm sure they did. They were up in... No, they're fine. Nobody said anything about that, it. That, nobody said a damn that, word. That's yeah. fine. But I, I enjoyed doing it because I had seen all of Gilliam's films. So I thought, why not? He's only in the book once. Let's rank him and, and see if there's any feedback. Unfortunately, you hadn't seen as many... I have as, not, no. As, ...as I would have liked. So we didn't really have a great back and forth there. But you've seen all of these. So I haven't personally seen all of the films that Clint has directed. His his filmography it's, is deep. It's, it's prolific. Yeah. Uh, to say the least. As 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 is his acting career. I mean, like, <laughs> nobody no no American actor director producer I think has had a, a career this prolific that covers oh, all man. three of those producing, acting and directing. Yeah, for decades. I mean, oh, Jesus. since the early 70s. I mean, 71 was kind of his big blow-up year. I mean, he had The Beguiled, he had uh, Dirty Harry. And was that was Play Missy for Me seventy one or seventy two? Seven, that was seventy one. Okay, I was gonna say. Okay, so, yeah, so, so he first, started and yeah. directed that as well. So yeah. I mean, what a year to have those three films. I don't know if you've seen the original Beguiled. But no, I haven't. Fantastic. I haven't. It's a shite sight better than Sophia Capella's. I've okay. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen either of them. It, they they make an interesting double feature. I and I would recommend it. Oh no, sure. No, I right. would start with hers before doing the Clint Eastwood okay. one. So what I have done because I haven't seen them all, I just decided to take a, a, a sort of sampling. Of, of his films as director. So I did the last 10 years. Yeah. So starting in 2008, uh, I'm going to rank those eight films, uh, not including, unfortunately, uh, the 1517 to Paris. I still have not seen that one, and, and I, I don't believe you have neither either. Neither have I, yeah. Uh, I was, antici- was going to try and watch that this morning. I was anticipating HBO actually having it, because I know they have a deal with Warner's and 20th Century Fox, but not on HBO yet. But uh, anyway, uh, so to rank... Those eight films between Changeling and Sully, here you go. So are you going forwards or backwards? Uh, I'll start at the bottom of the list and work my way up. Okay. Uh, So for me, at number eight, we have J. Edgar from 2011. Now, do you want want my number eight, or do you want to know where J. Edgar is on my list? Uh, How would you like to do it? I'll do my number eight when when it when it comes. Okay, so for me it's number eight. It's at the bottom of the list simply because I mean Jay Edgar is not exactly a character that's easy to make a film that's enjoyable about. He's not exactly the most likable guy True. in American history. Leo does I think the best that he can do with what he was given, but it is goddamn long. It is. 
It is. Like, that movie just would not end. Well, and it, it, I had a similar feeling with, with Gatsby, in a way, where it was, like, oh, it, it was the same. But it's the same thing about Leo. Like, yeah, he's, he's really making fine. the best of what he's been given. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I think, had the best intentions. But I think it's the same guy who wrote Milk. Yeah. And I, I'm really hoping he's not a one-trick pony, but this film certainly didn't do anything to prove otherwise. Sure. Yeah. My eight uh, is Hereafter. Okay. Which I'm not gonna. I, I don't. I don't even want to give it that much time on this podcast. Okay. I did not like that movie. Okay. Uh, but before you go, my my seven is J. Edgar. So that way we can just kind of okay, go so, ahead because okay, I I have similar feelings to you about it. Uh, my number seven is American Sniper, which from your 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 the look on your face over there, I'm assuming you don't agree with it all. I American, do not agree with that. American Sniper is, is a fine film. Again, it's a little too long. Bradley Cooper is incredible in it. I think that is the best. I've ever seen him in anything. Oh, exactly. For me, it's the same way that I feel about Leo and the Aviator. This is the movie where Bradley Cooper grew up and became sure an incredibly talented actor. Not that he didn't have talent before he made this, no. but this is where I... we see his full potential yeah. realized. Yeah. But in terms of the content of the film, it's kind of like Schindler's List for me. It's a one and done. I, really? I, I'm probably... I own a copy of American Sniper, but I... I'm probably never going to watch it again. It was such a hard watch. It, oh, it is, but it's I, draining. I, 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 man, I do. I, I really enjoyed it, and I, I, I won't tell you where it is on my list yet. But I, I need to watch it again. I want to watch it again. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's one of so many movies that I own because I, because I want to own it because I yeah. like it, and then it just piles up with all the other movies that are but, just like it. But yeah. it, it is, it is I, a really well-made movie, well-acted movie. Hard to watch, sure, but. It's good. Yeah. So this is where Hereafter comes in for me. Hereafter was number six. Okay. God, I cannot believe you put Hereafter I, above American Sniper. I know. Sniper. That's probably going to be the most controversial thing that we say <laughs> on any podcast going forward. I really, like, man, I don't know what it was. That movie just really, it, I, it really touched me. I don't know how else to describe it. I Yes, I know it's Oscar bait, but Damon in that is fantastic. Like, I really give a shit about his character. I really care about you know, his motivations and what he goes through and his struggle and then the whole stuff with the, the, the premonitions in it and the, uh, you know, I mean, the CG title wave is what it is, but... <laughs> Very true. But I, I really liked it a lot. I don't know what it is. I can't... I, I don't know how to justify it. All right. Uh, your number six? Is Jersey Boys. Okay. And that's not a surprise to me. Which, you know, looking at my list, I, I could have flipped it with, with what my five is, but... I think the reason why it's so low, and, and again, I think it's not, I don't think that it's a horrible movie, but I'm so familiar with the musical that it's just not what I was expecting. That's, I think that, I think that must, that, I mean, without, without giving a whole lot of detail, I think that's the best way I could describe it. It wasn't what I wanted. As a fan of the musical, it's not yeah. what I wanted. Well, and I haven't seen the musical. I've just seen the film. Sure. Which... I, I'm a sucker for those songs as well. Oh, yeah. So getting to see them on screen and getting to see this story, I mean, I really liked it. I know you're not a fan of the big musical number at the end because you... Didn't you say something like it feels out of place? It, it in, feels totally in the out of place. context of the film? Yeah. Yeah. It's like they're, they, they haven't done anything really, really big, so let's just go big at the end. Kind yeah. of in the same way that Slumdog Millionaire does the the Bollywood number, but that end. doesn't bug me. No, that yeah, yeah. It, it's a little more fitting. Yeah. And I and I'm not going to disagree with you that yeah. Anyway, so Jersey Boys is my number five. Okay, so we're, we're, I mean we're not yeah, far yeah off. we're not terribly far off. Yeah, uh, number four Invictus. That's and that's that's my five. That's your five. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's close. It's yeah. yeah we're not too it, far. I, off. I well I'm I'm a huge fan of international rugby. 
Well, I'm and, sure. And so the, the story really appeals to me there in the same ways that I'm sure something like um, you're, you like American football, so I'm sure any given Sunday you're drawn to that kind of anyway. Yeah. Maybe I, that's I mean, not the best example. But, no, but I get you. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. There aren't really too many good football movies. No. I mean, that's I'm, my opinion. Any but. given Sunday is, is one of the better ones. I enjoy it. A lot of people do not like that movie. I, which but, surprises the shit out of me, but, but I, I that's neither it. here nor there. Yeah. Um, and I love Morgan Freeman's Nelson Mandela. It's good. It's... And it's see, it's, it's so not as good as Idris is. No, it's not. You and you talk about um, Matt Damon in Hereafter. This is I think this is one of Matt Damon's really underrated performances. Oh, he's no, he's better in this than he is in Hereafter. I I really his, enjoy him in this. His South African accent, incredible. It's, it's it is spot on. It is. Listen, I, I'm an actor, and I I do not do very well with dialects. There are some I can do, but but I, I do not envy the day somehow a, a role comes across and I'm I have to do a South African accent because that. Is tough. It's, well, it's tough because it's it's so it has such similar nuances to an English accent or yes. to an Australian accent. You could slip. But it's somewhat yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's better. His accent in Invictus is better to me than Leo's, Leo's in Blood Diamond. Diamond. And there's nothing wrong with Leo's. No, no, but it, Damon's is really it's really just, good. It's damn good. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to number three. Well, I have my four. Oh, sorry. What's what's your three though? Because I wonder if we're really close again. Changeling. Is my number three okay? No, so my my so my four is Sully. Okay, that um, surprises me. I and again, so I think it's funny. I think I'm just kind of drawing comparisons. I think, and they're totally different movies. But Flight wasn't too much further before Sully. Oh, did you feel like it was kind of striking? It while the seemed, iron was hot? yeah, kind of, just a bit. Yeah, and it doesn't take anything away from what Sully did. Yeah, but and of course, and of course, Sully's based on a, a, a true story, unlike. Flight. Flight, which well, is totally fabricated. Flight takes pieces from reality. Sure. But the story in and of itself is not. Yeah. So, and, you know, Tom Hanks is, is good. You know, he's been, I think, I think recently he's been better in other movies yeah. uh, than this. He's been worse. I don't know if you saw The Circle. No, I didn't see The Circle. Yeah, you, you, I'm thinking more You don't have to see The Circle. Ca- Captain Phillips in his small, his very small oh. role in um, Save Mr. Banks. I actually yeah. really liked him as Walt Disney. Oh, I, yeah. I thought it was great. His Walt Disney's fantastic. Um, Nothing wrong with that. So, yeah, yeah. Sully, I mean... I, God, I probably could rearrange this a little bit. I think I put Sully at five, actually, and Invictus at four. Wow. Yeah. So, sorry, your number four was Sully, but you're going to flip. Yeah, I'm flipping So it. you're going to go Sully five. Yeah. And Invictus four. Invictus four. So your three... Three is Changeling. Okay. I'm going to say my three. My three is American Sniper. So we already talked a little bit about it. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I, I think Changeling is hands down the greatest thing Angelina Jolie has ever done. Yeah. Uh, her performance in that there is not a single moment in that film that doesn't ring true to me. It's so and good. I think I've, when we've talked, had conversations about marketing. Yes, we talked about this. What what struck me as amazing is only the first hour of Changeling was ever represented in any of the promotional materials. So yeah. the whole, more than the whole second half of that film was a complete surprise to me, and I was on the edge of. Oh, my me seat too. The entire time. God, and that's you know that's one of those movies where I've I've only seen it once, yeah. unfortunately, and. Oh, I have to say, I think I've seen it half a dozen times. Well, and it's like, it's like, it's one of the movies where it's like, it's. I'm like, no, I think about it though. It like yeah. when I, whenever I'm like looking at my movies and I pass by, I'm like, damn, that's a good movie. Yeah. I. But it's not one you can just pop in. It's very emotionally draining. It is. Yeah. It's a tough. Yeah. It's a tough sell. And I, it honestly, it gave me a little bit more appreciation for Girl Interrupted, which is not a film I enjoy, but I feel like Angelina Jolie couldn't have made this film without doing that one. Sure. Yeah. I get that. Because of the, the themes of insanity that it deals with, or rather insanity that is being, you know, imposed upon you. Sure. Yeah. Uh, number two is, for me, Sully. 
Which and one? my number two is your number one. Okay. Which which Grand, I Gran Torino. Yeah, Gran Torino. Because that's the only one left. And my number one is Changeling. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I can respect that. Yeah. yeah. But Gran Torino. So we, so your three is Sully. So you say Sorry, some good my, things about Sully because I. Uh, no, I. Sully for me is what I. What I love about Sully is it's so to the point. That movie is 95 minutes, I think. I don't feel a beat of it. And I what I really loved, I loved how... I've said things, maybe not to you, but to other people when I've had conversations about, say, a franchise like Die Hard or any of those big sort of over-the-top, high-octane action films. Like, sure. you couldn't make Speed or Die Hard 2, especially in a post-9-11 world. I mean, they, they crash a whole jumbo jet full of people in, in Die Hard 2. Yeah. And the, the, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You see the plane crash. You see the fireball engulf the yeah. plane. All the people in it die yeah. on the screen. But what Sully did threw me completely off balance. Like, they show the plane going into the... Like, he has nightmares about what what if I had failed. Yeah. And you get to see visual representations of his nightmares. Which I'm like, this is bold. This yeah. is big... And again, it wouldn't have been 20, 30 years ago, but now in the in the, the, the context of the world that we live in where these things are very real, mm-hmm. I, that's bold filmmaking, and those are bold decisions, and I, I respect Eastwood so much from not shying away from that or Sully himself for, for saying that it was okay to do something like that. Yeah. 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 And it is the story of uh, just a true American hero, like what that man did will, will be in the annuals of history forever. Like, he went above and beyond his calling and every single one of those people survived yeah it's it's such a i'm gonna steal a quote and i wish i could remember the name of the critic but there's a critic that said uh of oliver stone's world trade center which again is a movie that's that's very very dear to me not just because it's about world trade center and me too but me too because you know we all heard oliver stone's making a 9-11 movie and we all went jesus christ yeah okay here we go but he didn't. He made a very real, very small film about just two men. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. In the context I, it's of that a, event. It's a good like, movie. He could have gone completely Oliver Stone with he, it, and he, he yep. didn't. Nope. And I respect him so much for that. And he's saying what Eastwood does with this. Yeah, that's true. That's how I feel. Anyway, the quote that I'll, I'll steal is that it glorifies everything which is best in the American spirit. Yeah. And I'm saying that not as an American. There you go. <laughs> Whatever that means. Whatever Gran that Torino. Means. But Gran Torino being my number one. And my number two. And your number two. Yeah. It's it's just good. It's yeah. Well, now I I respect it a little less now, if I'm honest, because we all thought that was going to be Eastwood song, Swan Song as an actor, right? Sure. Like he said, this is it. I'm done. And then he did that favor for a friend with uh, Trouble with the Curve, which is not good. No. That is like TV movie of the week right there, which is a shame because it's got an incredible cast. Do you think? I don't think Eastwood cares that much about this, but do you think he's come? He's doing something else like this because he didn't get his nomination for it. Because he didn't. He didn't get any Oscar love for Gran Torino. No. And Which I'm wondering if he's thinking, like... So who... Sorry, who won? Yours this was 08? Yeah. Uh, that was um, Sean Penn for Milk. Yeah. Totally deserved. Yeah. I mean, my pick that year was was Mickey Rourke for the rest, rest of the year. I, I would have been mine, honest. too. That's who my money was. I actually lost money on that. That was a, that was a pretty good year for yeah. Best Actor nominees. Oh, 2008 was a great it was those two year was for film in general. Frank Langella, Frost Nixon. God, I love Frost was Nixon. Pitt? I think for Curious Case, yeah, and um, obviously somebody else, and I'm blanking, but let's not take time for me to no, try to think about that. Not. But, but uh, yeah, it was yeah, 
Do, do I think that he's doing the mule so that he can get that one final? I mean, he's already got the lifetime achievement award. No, no, and I don't. I, and that's what I'm saying. Is I don't think that's why he's doing it. I just, it's just you know, it's based on a true story about a very, very old man, and I'm sure it's appealed to him to do. Oh, I'll direct us and be in it because yeah. I'm oh, sure it looks who else, good. Who else is he going to get to play that part? I don't know. Maybe he'll pull Gene Ackman out of retirement. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? It would be pretty cool. That'd be amazing. That I can't believe he retired on Welcome to Mooseport. Yeah, which I haven't seen, but I don't know that I, I want I, to. I, there's no way in hell I'm ever going to see it. Yeah. It's the same way I feel about Connery going out on League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, I didn't realize that was the last thing that he was, did. That was his last Woof. feature. I think he did like a voice thing or something like that a few years later. But his last film as like a feature and as a lead in a film was The League. Um, so, but but Gran Torino, yes, which we didn't really. We, um, I like the story. Yeah, I like I like him in it. I, it's it's actually a Again, simple great story. Performances from the, the the younger actors in it too. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say Changeling and Gran Torino. If you haven't seen them, and go what, see them. And, what, and how do you pull those out in the same year? What an incredible double would, feature! I, yeah, it's not more impressive than than Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, but in a way, it is because he's also acting in one of them. Yeah. I don't know that I could put one above the other because I think Jurassic Park and Schindler's List as films, obviously they, they dwarf Changeling Anything. and Gran Torino, but that's really damn impressive. Yeah. So you got to give it up to him yeah. for that. Um, so final votes. I would like High Plains Drifter to stay in the book. If it means it has to come out because of Mystic River, that's fine too. But And it's a no for me with a replace of Mystic River. Yeah. And, uh, keeping Eastwood in the book, um, because I think he deserves a third slot. Yeah. Um, and I would, and I think Mr. Mystic River is more than deserving of being in the book. Yes. But um, as always, we want to know what do you think of High Plains Drifter, if you've seen it, and if you haven't, and what your familiarity was, and if you enjoyed it. You can always find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We're really enjoying the back and forth that we're getting when we get it. Um, we want more of it. You, you can't you can't give us too much stuff to, to respond to. We really enjoy the back and forth and, and we're doing this to, to uh, encourage dialogue. So please uh, hit us up and we'd be more, more than willing to start a conversation with you. You can um, listen to this on Google play and Spotify and on iTunes and anything else you want to say. No. Great. Just, uh, have a great week. I'll be going to see the mule this weekend. So I'll, uh, I'll throw up a, a couple of uh, opinions about that on Sunday after I've seen it. So, and I have two kids, so I won't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, but until I will next see it, I will see it vicariously for you. Perfect, great. Until next time, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week.